Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, welcome to The Art Detective with me, Dr. Yanina Ramirez. I am always adventuring around the country when I'm filming or giving talks or lectures and I find myself in wonderfully fortunate positions being invited to places that excite me greatly and I had a particularly fortuitous meeting yesterday uh, with the team from Birkenhead Priory who said would you like to come down and see it it's closed it's the winter nobody's supposed to be in there but we can unlock it for you so here I am it's a cold day in the north and I'm joined by Colin. Tell me about your position here. Hi, I'm Colin Simpson. I'm Principal Museums Officer for Wirral. Uh, so I'm responsible for the Williamson Art Gallery uh, in Birkenhead and Birkenhead Priory. Um, the Priory has been... Uh, it's been a council responsibility since the 1890s when it was bought by public subscription from the, the Lord of the Manor at the time and uh, restoration work was done at that time. Um, and then it was handed over. Um, and it's had mixed fortunes, it's now a scheduled monument, but there was a time when, uh, I think as people used to say in the 50s, they used to come and they could collect the key from the Williamson Art Gallery, come down, let themselves in. Oh, yes. Uh, There's still glorious places like that around <laughs> the UK where you get a key on a box <clears throat> that you can take. That's right. So it was like that till so recently. It was that until, like that until the 70s, yes. Um, when it was made a, monu- a scheduled monument, I think. Um, but over the last um, few years, there's been a lot of money spent in terms of restoring the fabric um, and redoing displays and things like that. So it's a much more uh, friendly and uh, uh, interesting place to visit now than it was in those days where it was just a load of old stones, really. You know. And the thing that really excites me about this place, we are standing now inside the Undercroft, mm-hmm. but what you've got here is, apart from the church, which we can talk about yeah. met its uh, tragic fate. Uh, you've got the outlines of a beautiful 12th century monastic complex. It dates from round about 1150. We haven't got exact dates, um, but it was round about 1150. Um, and it was founded by uh, Hemo de Massey, who was one of the um, sort of third generation Norman knight uh-huh. Um, from uh, that came over from uh, William the Conqueror, um, and the, the the Massey family seat was at Altrincham, where Dunham Massey is, National uh-huh. Trust House, 
Um, but they owned extensive lands in Wirral, and um, there's only one place. Sorgal Massey is a, is a village just by uh, uh, just outside Wallasey uh, that still carries the Massey name, but that's the last remaining bit of it, if you like. And for our international listeners... We are talking northeast England, but we th- this is north-west a sorry England. northwest. Goodness me, <gasps> we are Birken, Birkenhead is on the the side of the River Mersey, opposite Liverpool. Brilliant, and and this is a really important location historically. I mean, I get excited about the Wirral Vikings because, of course, this is a notorious area for that. But this is a place that's always reached out. It's reached out towards Ireland in particular. Got very close connections with those sorts of Celtic territories. And, and it's a strategically important location, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, but Birkenhead in particular um, didn't develop as a town until the 19th century. It was, it was you know, a minor settlement. Um, but it was always a passing place because this is the point where the River Mersey narrows down to, to about a mile. Um, as soon as you go upstream, it widens out and doesn't narrow until Runkle, where it's who's the, the, the nearest bridge to the sea, uh-huh. the Mersey. Um, so I think from time immemorial, there would have been a passing place here, yeah. um, and, and it, which gradually became formalised into a ferry. And eventually, the ferry was actually operated by Birkenhead Priory. Well, this is it. So this is this excites me, you see, because I love all things monastic. And, and this idea that the monasteries were, <laughs> they're not just places with quiet monks praying and sniffing herbs <laughs> it was they, they, these are industrious um, hotbeds of activity and industry and also very economic economically savvy places aren't they because they're charging a toll they're, they're take they're controlling this passageway absolutely yes but the um, i think that the benedictines this was a benedictine house yeah. probably built as an offshoot from chester which was the only other benedictine house in this area oh really okay um, yeah uh, which predated this and um, uh, so it was set up where we imagined that it was already, say, a passing place. And the Benedictines liked to be useful. Yeah. They didn't ferret themselves away in the hills and pray and live off the fat of the land. Um, and so um, they were ministering to people. And, but you reached a point, say, from 1150, it was only quite a small house. Mm. Um, but uh, in 1318, they applied to uh, the king's... Edward the Second to build a lodging house which was separate from the monastery grounds, so they could actually charge. Because if people were, were getting hospitality in the monastery, they were reliant on donations, right? Uh, and it was running them into into pauperhood, basically. So that's the building that's over to the to the well. No, that, from that's, where a we're sep- that's a separate building that would have been over the road. Oh, in fact. okay, okay. Because um, what you've also got within the complex here. Because, again, one of the exciting things about Birkenhead Priory is how intact the cloister area feels. Because you've got... We're in the undercroft, which would have been beneath the refectory. Yes. And then on the other side of the, the, what would have been the original cloister are lodgings, but lodgings for people who will be crossing. Is that well, right? that's right, yes. There's the abbot's lodgings at one end, but there's, there's what would have been a, a guest hall that was a, went up a sort of a full, full height building, so 20, 30 feet. Mm. Um, and, and that was a guest hall, so that was in effect the ferry waiting room. Um, <laughs> uh, but until and say so until the lodging house was built over the road, where where they could actually charge right. for food and lodging. I love this there. idea of kind of the, <laughs> the yeah, travelling waiting room for, yeah. for visitors. Uh, well, if the tide was bad or the weather was yeah. bad, people could be here for a couple of days. Of course, you know. And then um, also, as you said, taking the hospitality of the monks who are relying yeah. on donations. So, That's right. So yes. yeah, it had to kind of upgrade and change its yeah. way of doing. I mean, they had they had um, a reasonably extensive uh, portion of land in Birkenhead and other bits and bobs. Um, there were they were uh, 
allowed to take a portion of the fish that was caught off the, uh, off the river. Um, they had tenant farmers and their own farm and all the rest of it. And from um, when Liverpool market, when Liverpool was developing as a town, because uh, it only got its charter in 1207, they had a building in Liverpool that they sold stuff at the market in Liverpool. Okay. Um, so so that they, were, they were commercially oriented. Um, but uh, so 30, 1318, um, they applied for the, for the lodging house. Uh, and then 1330, they applied for the charter to operate the ferry because you get the impression that there were shyster ferrymen who would charge what, what took their fancy. Yeah. And by uh, taking over the ferry, it became regulated and the, and the, and the, the fee uh, to, became sort of set in stone, if you like. But that's um, not till 1330. So, yeah. But what's exciting about, about this building from an art historical point of view for me is, is the architecture. The space that we're in at the moment is undercroft is... is Staggering, actually. It's beautiful. I love the... These are very early examples of sort of ribbed vaults, aren't they? Because what what date is this space? That's a good question. I'm not sure that I can answer that off the top of my head. But I think this was in the the second phase of development, so so we're looking at 13th 13th century. That seems, yes, because the fact that... Obviously, it's beautiful. This this use of columns in the centre and then the way that they spring out. Yes. The sprung rib vault is is certainly a, a sort of thirteenth, fourteenth century yeah. evolution, isn't it? With the points as well. So yes. it's sort of borderline Gothic, borderline yeah between That's the Romanesque right, yes. and the Gothic. But all across the site, there's lots of different architectural. Well, there elements. is because the um, the chapter house, which is the oldest part of the um, of, of the site. Uh, dates back pretty much to its foundation. Amazing. Um, so that has a beautiful Romanesque door and windows either side, uh, and then um, Romanesque vaults inside. And there's, there's one round-headed window still mm-hmm. uh, in there. The other windows have been replaced in the uh, probably the um, late 14th century, 15th century, with sort of Gothic ones, which have later stained glass in them. And that's, I mean, this is so exciting for me, to be with the chapter house, to be able to stand in a space that is... Romanesque mm. that is coming so quick on the heels of the Norman Conquest. This this architecture of invasion in many yeah. ways, isn't it? Because it goes up quick. It's solid. It's permanent. It's yeah. stone. But it's it's quite simple too, isn't mm. it? So in the chapter house, as you say, there's the rounded arches, which I suppose is one of the most characteristic elements of of yes. Romanesque. Um, but but again, on this site, that has evolved into into this space that we're in, the 14th century section. Yeah. And then, beautifully, you've got the story carrying on to the Victorian era, haven't you? Well, that's right, because on the same site, um, obviously the, um, uh, the site was, was closed by Henry VIII in the 1530s. Um, was it part of the second stage or no, first stage? it was stage? the first stage, because it was it's a very small, small house, yeah. yes. So 1536, it was closed right. down. Um, and... Probably fairly soon afterwards, the church had gone, or the church of the stone was built, used for building or walls or roads or whatever. The earliest view we have of the priory is is sort of um, 1640s, um, where there are three arches still standing from the church, but that's all. Uh-huh. Um, and that's the same 1727, the book engraving. Um, but by the end of the 18th century, those arches have gone. Really? But the rest of the buildings are pretty much as they were then. Do we know what happened to the stone that, that, from the church, or was it simply lost? No, it just disappeared. Pillaged. Yeah. Because there's an in, there's, you mentioned earlier as well to me when we were talking outside, 
We're right on the river here. Mm. I mean, it, it's an extraordinary mashup of, of old and new because you've got this <laughs> incredible kind of nugget of medieval history mm. and then huge industrial cranes, massive ships. What's going on on the river out there and how has it changed? Well, we have, um, as the town of Birkenhead developed, the first parish church for the town was built on this site because it was already viewed as a, as a consecrated site, if you like. Okay. Um, but uh, the town of Birkenhead didn't really start growing until the 1820s mm. when the opportunities to uh, develop on the side of the river opposite Liverpool became uh, came available, if you like. Liverpool was growing and there was this vast tract of empty space on the other side of the river, so why <laughs> wouldn't you develop it? And the, the main catalyst for that was William Laird, who was a Scottish engineer, uh, who started boiler works that became the shipworks, uh-huh. uh, that became Laird, Laird Brothers became Camel Laird. Um, they started off on Wallasey Pool, which is where the docks are now, uh, and then in the 1850s they moved round onto the riverfront, directly between the Priory and the river, right. looking straight over to Liverpool, and then they expanded south. Um, and so what we have uh, overhanging Birkenhead Priory are these massive cranes yeah. because um, the biggest dry dock in the west coast of England which is, which is over that stone wall there um, took away half the remains of the medieval church well this is it it was built yeah. in, the 18, in the 1950s so that was uh, right up until, so in, was it the 1950s when the last when that cut was made yes. <gasps> god I mean the, obviously as a medievalist I sort of been, but the idea, because yeah. they cut right through what would have been yeah. the, rema- the remains of the church, yes. and just to think what the layers of archaeology and, and the things would have been uh, that were lost into, so they were just cut into the docks. Into it was the just cut into the stone because we're, sta- we're standing here in the undercroft on a walkway, but you can see six inches yeah. below our feet is stone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's the sort of the bedrock of Birkenhead, if you like. Uh, and so, yes, it cut straight down into the stone to create that dry dock. But in, in the, the late 1950s, the only thing that they were interested in was employment, was um, Harold Wilson's phrase, the white heat of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was the priority, and nobody would have imagined that somebody might want to come to Birkenhead for tourism or <laughs> heritage or for history. Not considered important. Amazing, amazing. But again, you know, that's part of the evolution of the, the story of this place, isn't it? That Absolutely, This is a place yes. that has continued to change, be relevant. Um, Interestingly, even when we were starting to film, to record today, I was having problems with my microphone because there's naval, there, there might be some sort of a block on, yeah. the, on this area because there's, there's, there's naval vessels out there for Absolutely, that's activity. right, because, uh, I mean, Camel Laird as a shipbuilder closed in 1993 and it's had various uh, resurrections, but it's working actively as a ship repair yard and as a shipbuilder now. Mm. Um, Building uh, ships like Boaty McBoatface? Absolutely, that's right, which is going to be called the Sir David Attenborough. Excellent. Um, but that's due to be uh, launched um, first this year and then, and then uh, commissioned next year. Mm. Um, and that is within 400 yards of where we're, we're standing. Yeah. Amazing. And I like this because, again, I think it keeps the story going. So you, obviously there was probably a crossing that goes back to ancient times yeah. uh, out there. But then this idea that the Benedictines established themselves here, yeah. built their monastery over... 400 odd years, yeah. it then goes into the hands of the nobility, yeah. and then the story goes on, it remains a parish church into the Victorian period, but yeah. then it's, there's this industry and technology going on outside. Well that's right, yes, and even when the parish church was closed and demolished, the chapter house became a Church of England church again, so it's still used for weddings, funerals, christenings, 
um, and, and services. Uh, and so the life of the, of the, of the site carries on. Yeah. Uh, and we refer to, we say it's a small site, it's a small site with a big history. Yeah. Um, because in effect the whole history of the town is encapsulated within this site, even though you're standing within an industrial estate um, you know, on almost all sides. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Colin, it's been amazing to talk to you now. Now, listen, I also want to talk to your colleague yeah. who is here, Kate. Hi. Hi, Kate. Come on in. You've been listening patiently while yeah. I've been chatting away. Introduce yourself. Um, I'm Kate White. I'm basically a volunteer researcher for Birkenhead Priory and, and the Williamson Gallery. So what I do is be, um, mainly small inter- interpretations to help put the Priory into its like historical context so that visitors can get a sense of where it fits in to history. Because if you say 11.50 to someone, they might not <laughs> have the faintest idea of what was going on then. So I'm trying to um, sort of inform on that a little bit. Yeah, and we're standing in... An example of your yes, work here, are yeah. we? So did you, you came up with this section over here about medieval um, Yeah, I was medicine. just giving, our volunteer coordinator suggested the idea for medieval medicine. So I just went away and researched this and produced a few panels on it. Being a, a monastery, it might have had an infirmary, we can't be certain if this one did because it was a small place. There's only about 16 monks here at most at really? one time. But um, Norton Priory, which isn't that far away in Runcorn, that would have had one. So it's just about how they would have treated people, the herbs they would have used, mm. and methods. and yeah, Which, because again, you, you, you're a budding medievalist. I am. And you're yeah. slightly in love with all this stuff like me. Yeah. <laughs> what is it that draws you to the, to the medieval? Um, I don't know. I've just always liked it. My mother's interested in the same period, so it was just always on. Watching Cadfile when I was little. <laughs> He's a Benedictine as well, love so it's Cadfile. kind of it's all, always been the kind of thing. But yeah, just always been fascinated by it. The Benedictines are a fascinating order anyway, aren't they? I mean, mm. there's this evolution of monasticism, as you were saying as well, Colin, this idea of the desert monks going off into the desert to be alone. Mm. What the Benedictines said was actually, 
they're God's army, bring them together and, and order and regulate the day. Yeah. Because there's a lot of order in the Benedictine day, isn't there? Yeah, there was. We've got things upstairs with the clock about um, what they would do during the day. And there's prayers, I think, eight times a day, something like that. And between them, they would be working most of the time up at dawn sort yeah. of thing. So they, they were always busy and they probably would have had farmland. And so, yeah, things to tell. Fishing, probably, as well. And, and like Colin mentioned, the, the ferry, they would be monitoring that. And, of course, fishing, because they would have had an amazing supply. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I know that the scriptorium here isn't contemporary, but no. there possibly was a scriptorium here with the monks writing and producing manuscripts. We would assume so, yeah. We can't, like Colin said earlier as well, that we couldn't think of any other papers for what it would be. And because that was, like, they were the only people that sort of produced... Um, manuscripts or books at that time. Yeah. Tell me a bit more about the abbot that founded it and, and, and how it came into being. It was founded by Homer de Massey, who was, who was a Norman knight. Right. Um, and um, uh, I think he, 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 the foundation at that date, around about 1150, he was actually quite young, but it was just before he was going to go on the Third Crusade, yeah, possibly, around about it. that time. It's all about that time of Crusade. And, but also this funny overlap between the spiritual and the, the yeah. secular world. Well, that's right. But, I, but, you know, I mean, it was always sold to me at A-level history <laughs> that, they, that they were buying their way into heaven, basically. Yeah, yeah, and that, yeah. was, that was the basis of it. Um, and so as a young teenager, he made this, made this creation... Uh, and then went off to the uh, went off to the Crusades, and he lived into his eighties. So it obviously worked for him. You there see. You go, there um, you go. So what you're doing in the foundation is that is that you're in effect paying for this crew of monks there to pray for your soul and the soul of your descendants um, uh, to make your passage into the into the other world uh, a little more uh, smooth, shall we say? Mm. But it would have been quite. I mean, the thing I like about about thinking about monasteries, early medieval monasteries is thinking quite how luxurious they would have been. I mean, we're stood here next to a reconstruction of, of what it would have looked like. And yes, you've got this, this wonderful symmetry to a monastic site with the church that's doing all the, the spiritual work. And then the living quarters um, and the, the dormitory and the, the cloister is the sort of the heart of the building. But it would have been quite a nice place to live. You would think, think so, because when we're here now, like there's no fireplaces, so it's freezing. Yeah. So you'd always imagine a first instinct that it would be really difficult to live here. But like you can see outside, there's several fireplaces. Exactly. And they probably would have had braziers as well, lighting the room and, and keeping it warm. So they probably would have had it quite plush. Yeah. And they weren't that restrictive with the diet as well. There was all kinds of ways to get round, not being able to eat meat and, and things. So you could just get yourself booked into the infirmary for a few days. And to then, have a feast? Yeah, just really feed yourself feast? up. It was, it was quite... Yeah. Well, they, they got around it in funny ways, because you couldn't eat meat um, inside the refectory, so mm. often they'd build extra dining yeah, rooms outside right. <laughs> where and they could eat meat. Animals with cloven hooves and things like that, and th I think there was something against ducks or birds or some, like, poultry. There was a rule for that, but they had ways of getting around it. They did, and, and even in this space, that you've got a few things exhibited that, that have come up from the site themselves. But you've got the earthenware, the cups, the bottles, the, the things that would have been part of daily yeah. monastic life. But they're all quite high quality, aren't they? They are, that's right. And I think what, what you have to bear in mind is, even if the life was fairly spartan, and you were up eight times a day praying for various... You know, had to be up in the night and that sort of thing. In comparison to what it was like outside... Exactly. It was an awful lot better. Exactly, because this is stone. Yeah. And again, you, I think 
the, the art historical importance of this building is extraordinary because we're on, we are in a complete medieval space here. Mm. The, um, as you say, over at the, the uh, chapter house, that is a complete 12th century space. Yeah. And it survives because it's stone. Mm. Whereas most people, of course, they're living in, in timber buildings, wattle and daub. Yeah. And life would have been, I think, probably less comfortable. Mm. Uh, whereas the monks had a relatively all right time. <laughs> yeah. Both quite easy. Well, I think or... some of their activities were, were back-breaking and exhausting, weren't yeah. they? But... but when you do the research in, into Birkenhead Priory, it, it, it was not what you might describe as a, as a louche house. No. There, there were, there, as far as I can see, that there are no examples of, uh, of, of misbehaviour. Was there uh, anything in the, in the uh, dissolution documents about it and... Not particularly, no. What, obviously, Wirral was a, was a royal forest for a while, so there were a variety of spats between the Prior of Birkenhead and the, and the, and the forester uh, over a long, t- long period because, as you know, forest laws were actually pretty draconian. Yeah. Um, and uh, if you wanted to build a fence or dig a ditch or something like that, then you were stopped doing it. Yeah. Uh, and so um, there are those uh, incidents. Um, uh, but on the whole, um, the life here was fairly regulated and, 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 and fairly, fairly good. And it lasts for so long. That's the other thing I think we take for granted about the, the monasteries in, in England. Because they're halted so rapidly with Henry VIII, it's, it seems like it, it's a short period of time. Mm. But there's, there's monasteries bubbling away in this country for a millennium. Mm. And they give continuity, but they also give education, they give medical care, don't they? They, mm. they work with the community. Absolutely. And the church would have served its function for the community as well, wouldn't mm. it? Yeah. Um, so, so they're vibrant places that are important to, to, to understand. That's right, yeah. Um, what's the thing you most enjoy about being involved with this place, Kate? What's, what is it that excites you in the morning when um, you get here? <laughs> I, well, I like the architecture. Like you say, this place is beautiful. I love the arches. And just being able to stand in something that's so old and still so intact. And, well, it's mostly intact anyway. Yeah. But, and, and just to try and picture like what it might have been and you can walk around it and, and touch it and... It's just, it's, it makes it tangible, which is what I like. The idea that you're touching a stone that people have... Yeah, know, people have been walking for, yeah, for sort of hundreds of years. Yeah. It is a magical place. Um, what's, what's the next part of the project here? What's going to be happening? Well, over the, last, um, so over the last two or three years in particular, we've done a lot of work on the fabric of the building to make sure the medieval masonry is secure uh, and safe for the future. And as part of that has been developing um, a sort of a, a group of volunteers that Kate's one of who work on her beds and gardening around the side who do volunteer uh, guiding. Um, the last part of the, of the site that needs work doing on it is in fact that, that central building, the chapter house with the scriptorium, mm. um, which of course still belongs to the Church of England, it doesn't belong to us. So we've, uh, we've tried one uh, HLF bid that was knocked back, but we'll be working with the church to try and do that because there's still a bit of work needs doing on the roof and those sort of I mean, things. It is a piece um, of national history of great importance. I, I mean, we take for granted we go to a massive space like Durham Cathedral and stand inside <coughs> something that's got Romanesque features. Mm. But there's something so intimate about that chapter house, the fact that it is a Norman building that has all of the major characteristics, all the major architectural mm. features of a Romanesque building, 
And yet it's so tangible. It's, as you said, Kate, it's, it, you could, it's tactile. You can touch it. You can see it. Yeah. And you would say to me about the plaster falling down and mm. revealing those incredible ribbed vaults. Mm. And, and say, so that they, up until the 50s, I think it was plastered. And then they took the plaster down and saw the, the stonework behind it and thought that it was a, it was a feature. It's beautiful. Um, it is, yes. And it was pointed up in the, in the 90s, so it's in very good condition now. And the site has an, an active life. Say so that the the Church of England still uses the chapter house um, as a uh, as as a, as a chapel. Um, we have the volunteers. We have uh, the Friends of HMS Conway, who have a museum and sort of chapel uh, in the scriptorium above the chapter house. And the refectory above here we use for meetings, concerts for school groups, all of those things, because that was roofed over in the 90s mm. um, to give us that extra space. And, um, and I think, like so many of our great national buildings, um, partly because of Henry VIII ripping down a lot of the monasteries, they become living documents, and they are... <laughs> there's almost like archaeological layers in these yeah. buildings. You could see their history played out. They've not remained intact and preserved like relics. They've been they've constantly evolved and changed, haven't they? That's right, yes. And that and that will that will carry on happening as long as people carry on using the site yeah. uh, and, and finding different uses for it. Um, and, and, and just enjoying it. And and even though um, say when the um, St Mary's Parish Church was closed down because a lot of the the local population had moved away. There were tenements and terraces that were knocked down in the 50s. Mm. And, um, but there is still a community here. There is, are still people who live within 200 yards of the building. Um, uh, and particularly because they built flats overlooking the river because the best views of Liverpool are from Birkenhead, let's face it. Well, you know. I'm going to be taking some lovely views and photos to share with this podcast um, for, on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, you guys are on social media, aren't you? What's yes. your, what's your um, The primary, it, it's at Birkenhead 1150. At Birkenhead 11. Yeah, and there's Brother Tom the Monk as well. At Brother Tom Prior 1. At Brother Tom Prior 1. Well, I, I have been so excited to be allowed in here. It's... It gets closed up, doesn't it, to preserve it over the winter, um, and then it opens up again. We reopen, January the 31st, we reopen, uh, and we're open to the public Wednesday, Thursday, Friday afternoons, and Saturday and Sunday all day. The times vary a bit between summer and winter, but that's the, that's the, the, the broad brush. Um, and the website, which is um, www.thebirkenheadpriory.org, uh, will give the information. Great. I, for me, this is a really extraordinary place because you can go to the big monastic ruins like Revo, Fountains. Uh, you can go to the big cathedrals that still have that fabric of monastic buildings in them. But there's something so intimate about Birkenhead Priory it, it, and, and so old. The fact that it is such an early Benedictine monastery that's still intact, I think it is an absolute historical nugget. And I'm so grateful that you guys let me come in Thank here today. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's great. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com slash covered.